Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome. How's it? How are you? Nice to meet you. Are you new here? Well, you can just say, there's some open seats. Sit wherever you want. It's general admission. Sure, you can sit in your car. Of course, you can sit at your desk at the office. Yes, it's no problem. You could sit on that bench press. Be careful, though. Pay attention to what you're doing. Get a spot if you need a spot. I can't talk you through that. I don't want to be the guy saying this in your ear while your chest is being crushed by weights. What do you? Uh, yeah, you can certainly sit in your own kitchen or stand there and uh, do your dishes, your laundry. You can do your laundry. You can cook. You can paint. You can throw a pot. This episode is dedicated to the throwers of pots, to the throwers of cups and mugs, to all the clay throwers. Is that, Am I not saying that right? Potters. It's your episode today. This is for the potters. I do want to tell you that today on the show, I have David Chang, the chef and founder of the Momofuku restaurants, which are around the world, all over the world. You might also know him from his Netflix show, Ugly Delicious, or his podcast, The Dave Chang Show. He's got a new show on Hulu. It's called The Next Big Thing You Eat. It's uh, premiering today. Also got a cookbook out this month called Cooking at Home. He's also a kindred spirit, a kind of uh, a guy trying to figure out how to enjoy life guy, but uh, incredibly talented dude. He brought me over some uh, some chili sauce. David Chang brought me... Um, a uh, Grateful Dead record and this Momofuku hot sauce. I'm looking for a picture of it so I can tell you what it is because it was fucking amazing. It was like you could put it on anything, I think. I think you could even put it on ice cream if you wanted to. Momofuku chili crunch. Damn. I ate like a whole thing of it in like two days. And this isn't even a promo. It's not paid advertising. I like when people bring me presents. It's very nice and it's a good conversation. So anyway, people, last night I... uh played a gig at Largo, and uh, it went well. It was great. My band uh, is very good. Can I call my band? That's the weird thing. I've wanted to do this all my life, and I still wrestle with the idea of, like, do I deserve to do it? Do I deserve to do it in front of people? Aren't there people that deserve this more? I've been playing guitar my entire fucking life, and the when I was younger, I did not have the confidence to play in a band. I did not have the discipline to learn songs. I'm still not that much different, but I'm a much better guitar player. 
But given this opportunity, I'm taking it. But I still enter it thinking, like, do people really want to hear me, Mark Marin, play guitar and sing my songs? But I'll tell you something. I fucking love it. And I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to do it. And there's something electrifying about the fear of taking the stage, which I don't have as much anymore with stand-up. But just I've always felt that when you sing and play guitar, there's a vulnerability there, for me anyways, that I can't hide. And it's it's very interesting to do it in front of people and then come out of it and do a little stand-up because I'm basically raw and open and needing of a certain amount of approval that I have to give myself in that moment because I know when I play okay. But, uh, you know, I definitely have dropped into the pocket a little more. I'm a little more relaxed you know, it's exciting to play with Jimmy. You know, I can hold my own a bit, but I got to stop comparing myself to people that have been doing this for a, a life or a living or their jobs or everything. I play earnestly with a certain amount of feeling and I'm capable and I can sing all right. And that's that. There's a couple of stops and starts last night, but uh, but like, I think it went pretty good. I, th- I, think, uh, I think it went pretty good and it was a good time. And... You know, going into it, I just was, you know, I'm, I, I'm not terrified, but I really have to you know, push back a certain amount of fear. And I really feel like that electronically that my amplifier picks up my insecurity. And I don't have any understanding of what it's like to play in different size rooms or why it sounds the way it does. Because I play in this garage or I play in my office room and it's just me and a guitar and it sounds great. But when you get into the real world with this stuff, it's like there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, random stuff going on and uh and i i i somehow like by the middle of the show i'm like do i even want to finish i mean jesus haven't i done enough i'm i'm relieved i was exhausted by the end of it we did uh i think i really did a good version of uh oh sweet nothing by the velvet underground everything went pretty good the groove on mystery man by tom petty was a little a little hard for me i've got to practice singing and uh, playing at the same time but i've got this thing in my head where it's like I'm not like some big star where my playing is automatically or me wanting to play in a band is automatically going to disappoint people. It's like, who the fuck does he think he is? But, you know, I'm a mid-level celebrity that does a lot of different things. And now guitar is another one of those things. And I do it okay, And it's pretty entertaining. I accept me. I accept me. You hear that, Potters? Put that in your head while you're squishing the clay. You clay squishers across the world. Sammy's got a new nickname, Smushy. That's how you know, like, how, how much you talk to your cats is uh, is revealed and how many nicknames you have for them. Buster is Booster, Busty. That's about it. Booster and Busty. Hey, Booster. Hey, Busty. What's up, Busty? Sammy is Sammy. Sammy Red, Schmooly, Smushy, Samster, Sam, Sammy, Smushy, the Smusher. So I'm a man who talks to his cats a lot, clearly. Just ask Smushy or Schmooly or Sammy Red or the Sam Man. <laughs> I never call him that. I do like Smushy, though. I do like Smushy. Oh, my God. I ate about 19,000 calories and nuts last night. That's how I party after a gig. So, David Chang, we got right into it. 
we got right into it. No fucking around. We have some common friends. And uh, and now I can tell you that I, I enjoyed the hot sauce. And I like watching him cook on TV. And this was nice talking to him. Uh, the next thing you eat is now streaming on Hulu. His cookbook, Cooking at Home, comes out next Tuesday, October 26th. I would like a copy of that. Could someone arrange that? Thank you. Uh, yes, please. I want that. I'm sure I, at, at the very least. But he did. He already gave me sauce. And he already gave me a Grateful Dead box set. But what would it ta- what would it cost? Anyway, you know what? This is for another time. I'll deal with it off the mic. This is me talking to uh, David. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Chang. I, you know, I like, to, I like food, but I'm afraid of fat. I say, you really like food, and I think it looks like you're a really good cook. And I know you watch a lot of cooking shows. So, well, I used to, and I, you know, I do. I have a sense. I do get better. I do cook, but I'm limited, and I'm afraid of cream. I'm afraid of milk, and I'm afraid of cheeses. So, like, it's all pretty. <laughs> it's all pretty straight ahead, you, you know. But like, I can cook a pretty good steak. I do fish all right. Fish is tricky, but like, I never do Asian, right? Because it, it looks relatively doable if you have the supplies but i just don't do it well i think that's just a it's not preference it's just it can be daunting if you're not familiar growing up with it right because there's a million things yeah that uh, you got to kind of have but at the base level i think yeah. you just need like soy sauce yeah and sesame oil yeah i got that and that's that's it pretty much scallions scallions lots i use a lot of scallions <laughs> and that that's that, that chili crunch is, yeah. is good on on everything so but i love that episode how's your kid by the way i mean i i, I saw you have the kid yeah i just uh we had my wife had another baby uh two weeks ago really and he's great yeah so now you have two, two. how old's yeah. the oldest one uh uh pretty fresh still right no two and a half years yeah 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 and you're adjusting all right yeah. I, you know what? I have it easy. My 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 wife, God bless her. It's, yeah. she's not sleeping so much, but oh my I'm God. doing okay. Yeah, you you don't get up and do the thing. I I help take the breast milk bottles, and and the she pumps like every couple hours. Yeah. I bring that down um, every and, two three hours. And did the, did the mission to create baby food? You know, do you are you doing that? Or? Oh no, 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 no! I mean, I think that would be very difficult to do. Um, but I thought that episode of that show of uh, uh, what is it, Ugly, Ugly Delicious, Delicious yeah. where you talk to these other people and how they handle childhood, uh, child rearing, or feeding children, and you know the 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 way you're going to live the life of a chef and still have the kid. I mean, I thought that was all pretty, uh, you know, uh, 
broad and expansive in terms of the, the different types of people that are in your business that, that had kids yeah. and, and the choices that people make to have kids. And uh, but you're you're not going to, you know, open a restaurant in your house. I think it's difficult for any parent to have or anybody to have a kid, yeah. but particularly difficult for people that work in the restaurant industry because mm. of the hours. And it's just unrelenting in, yeah. in, in, in the service of yeah. others. Yeah, why? 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 You know, why are restaurant people so fucking crazy? Because, like, I worked in restaurants when I was a kid, right? And I've known a lot of chefs. But, like, when I was in Boston, you know, working at it, like, a, like on a, on a, a, just being a counter cook, like, I knew chefs. And there was more blow, more booze, more insanity, you know, in, in the world of restaurants. And I don't, and I guess it's all about, you know, the immediate gratification of delivering, serving, creating that, uh, that just becomes addictive, right? Yes, there are. I feel like maybe there's like three professions where yeah. something happened to you in your childhood and you become this profession, like <laughs> porn stars, comedians and chefs. Um, but, but there's also the the uh, inherited uh, businesses, which yes. is not tr- based in trauma. <laughs> like, you know, my dad was a plumber. It's not traumatic. Right. I just took the business over. <laughs> right. the, you know, it. a lot of it. Is again inherited because it was built on the 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 the, the French military system. Mm. Like the military's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> the, what you mean the modern kitchen? Modern kitchen is based on Escoffier, this old French guy that yeah. that codified French cooking, built it on the brigade system in the military, which is why it's like like very strictly a hierarchy. Right. And if you see how, unfortunately, the military operates yeah. in the training of things. Yeah. It's not a surprise that it would be adopted by, you know, and chefs. The, and the chef is the general. And now is this is the sous chef uh is is what <laughs> it that seems like a pretty nice name for the prep guy. Well there's a lot of fancy names. So yeah. the chef technically means boss. Yeah. Sous in French means under. Yeah. So it's like the it could oh, be the second. Okay. And but there are all these stratifications of the word chef, executive yeah. chef, right. chef de cuisine. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of my peers don't like being called chef. Chef is almost like a derogatory term. What do they like being called? Just their your name. name. Oh. And, and you know, you can like, what's up, chef? Like yeah. you do that oh, as right. like a as but like a an insult. difference between a chef and a cook, right? Big difference. Big difference. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> a, a, today in 2021, yeah. like titles who the hell knows anymore. yeah who cares right yeah. yeah i mean if you're a good cook like you know for instance like on some level and i'm j- just because it's fresh in my head the old pizza episode you did you know that guy is kind of a cook absolutely the guy who has that place yeah i mean almost all of the pizza guys that wind up being pizza guys be you know they almost taught themselves right, right? like yeah and 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 this is a big debate Really? I love these big debates that only certain oh, people know exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody, you know, that's why I'm like, no one cares. No, right? they do care. What is the big debate? It, there are like like two schools of thought. The the really great chefs yeah. oftentimes were self-taught. Oh, know? really? Yeah. Because they didn't know what right. rules to break. Uh-huh. Um, and, and people don't really know that. Like there's a chef, like Heston Blumenthal yeah. in, in England. Yeah. I mean, he- He's not like working chef anymore because he's so successful. Right. He was a repo man before yeah. he became a chef. Huh. You know? And yeah. it's like. And he didn't go to culinary no. school. No. Well, that's what I, I, I realized about cooking 
I got a professor in college that was sort of a gourmet chef, but he just he just learned himself and his kitchen was set up properly. And, and that had a profound effect on me when I realized, like, if you have a knack for this shit and you understand it, you know, you can you can do it. But that, I think, is the difference in cooking is not everyone has a knack for it, but you can still be really good at it. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, because you, of repetition. OK. You know? but, but like, I mean, in, in a sense, like and I've said this before. Only that, like, in order to make a recipe, you have to be able to see it in your head and understand how it fits together. I think the way, the reason why people fuck up recipes is they're just they're seeing the you know dumping the thing in two tablespoons. They don't they can't picture what they're making, and if you can't picture what you're making, it's how are you gonna fucking make it right? Well, you know, I got a cookbook coming out that talks about this, the the intuition, and there's almost, I have this like theory yeah. brewing in my head that. Maybe all the recipes that we follow yeah. is the reason why people are so bad at cooking. Right. Because it would be like following instructions to have sex. Right. Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. Well, you need to know the basics. Yeah. You need to know the basics <laughs> and then you move on. <laughs> this but, goes in there. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that still follow the recipe like they're still following right, recipes right. for Where sex. Where does this go? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, it, you know, I have a lot of comedian friends and I... I toy around with this idea of is there this general pattern of how you do things in life whatever it is these schools of thought yeah. and i think that it's incredibly difficult to be a great improvisational comedian people yeah. think you can just do it yeah but you got to work at it to be good well, at yeah it. i mean i i mean i i do a lot of improvising on stage and i'm doing it now and i realize there are guys that can't do that but there are also guys that are afraid to do that and they don't they don't want to give up power they don't want to give a control of the room because when you step out there, I mean, there are guys who work in improv and that's their thing. But as a stand up, as soon as you go like, what's up with you? You know, then you're like, you're, you're gambling. So, and you've got to be into that moment to sort of counter that, you know? And there's a lot of chefs, you know, I'm more of the improvisational. I, I can never do the same thing twice, even though I, I'm supposed to. But your craft is in place. The craft is in place, but there are great, great chefs. Yeah. That look at anybody that does anything off the cuff yeah. as imbeciles. Right. And there are people that are on the more improvisational end that yeah. look at the rigid structure yeah. of like someone that never deviates from their set yeah. as assholes. Right. Or, you know? or, or just sort of, um, it always strikes me as, as it's hard to defend because it looks like fear and it looks like um, conservatism. In, in yes. a way. Yes, exactly. Or, or laziness on some level. Like, you know, with comedy, you know, you can't go back to the same crowd with the same act uh, too often before they're like, I'm tired of this. Right. And I think it's the same. It must be the same with food. And that's the weird thing about all these conversations or these arguments that you're talking about. Nobody eating the food is going like this. This tastes like that guy. Uh, yeah. Well, that, but that's not true. I can taste when a, a restaurant's gone bad mm -hmm. because there's no love in the kitchen. That's that's the funny thing. It is. As cliche as it sounds, so much of the success of somebody in restaurants, yeah. I'm sure any field is, how much do they care? Yeah. How much do they love it? And, yeah. you know, I've spent years thinking about these stupid, not stupid topics, but I think about these things and I've just come at the age of 44 now. I'm like, all that matters is, did someone like it? Right. Who cares? Right. Who cares? What, in, in the making of it or the- in The, the whole top, the, I'm just so tired of the talk of it because right, right, it's not right, meaningful. Right. It's not right. useful for people. Right. And I can't force anybody to go down these rabbit holes. So, you know, it's like, I, I'm in a, a state of flux of trying to reevaluate what food is to me and to like but, everything. But, but right. But when you say food, it's like your, your medium of expression. So it's a big deal. 
Yes, and also like, I thought I fed a lot of people. Yeah. But the reality is I haven't fed that many people. You but know? Is that really the agenda as to how many people you feed or, or, or how uh, amazing the food is? Well, it could be both, right? Oh, yeah. That's to but me. I mean, but, but numbers, I mean, you know, McDonald's feeds a lot of people. Yes. And I've spent my lifetime hating them. But now I'm like, well, not that I want to be McDonald's. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that you can go to any McDonald's for the most part. And it's the same. But that's but that's a consistency. It's almost an industrial consistency. Right. You're not eating a burger from McDonald's saying like the guy who made this. I, yeah, I can feel him in this. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what if you could? Yeah. Right. Like, what if you are? Yeah. And that's to me what I'm after. Like, you know, when you do stand up, could yeah. you is the balance potentially doing 100 percent committed to improvising and 100 percent committed to a, a rigid setup? Well, no, I just like for me, I, I guess. And this is what we were kind of talking about at the beginning. For me, it's about discovery. Right. And then once you discover something, you want to you want to share it as many times as possible until you get tired of it. And then you shelve the discovery and you hopefully discover more. Absolutely. I mean, that's the the point of expressing for me. It's it's this sort of me understanding something differently or, or seeing something differently or or or, or help helping other people see something differently. Right. And that evolves. So it's never a strict balance. I improvise to, to create. And then eventually, you know, things stick. And then I run them you know, to the ground. <laughs> this, this may seem too esoteric and meta, but yeah. I, I feel maybe similar. When you're talking about discovery, and I, I, I listen to you a lot, and so it seems like that's something that you're always trying to do. Yeah. Do you feel that there might have been irritation or agitation along the way of this discovery? Because you're trying to tell your audience to discover the same thing. Sure. Because like, and I imagine it's the same with cooking in that, you know, like, you know, when something's not landing or, you know, when something doesn't taste right, you know, it tastes okay, but it's still a little weird or it's not quite right. I mean, I know that. So then it's like, I've got to sit there going, and I'm doing that now. Like, how do I fine tune this thing? So it, it's, it lands the way I want it to land. Right. You know, and, and that's exciting. That's an exciting process when you, but it, it, as it turns out, and I imagine with you as well, like, you know, right when you get it perfect, you're like, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. it happens every day when I cook for my family. It's like, yeah. I don't want to eat this. Yeah. I hate eating it. But did you like making it? Not, I don't even know if I like make. I want them to be happy. Right. But I don't, Right, right. I don't right, know. Right, right, like, right. I'm such a neurotic mess, man. Yeah. Like, with Still? everything. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, so what is it about then? Like, you know, this this uh, observation had at the beginning, you know, like that, you know, comics, porn stars and chefs, you know, have this, uh, you know, this thing. Because I, you know, I, as I get older and I'm 58, I just turned 58, you know, I still learn new things about you know, my brain and about my insecurity and about like my, like, like lately I'm battling with like this wave of self-loathing that I can't, like, I, I, it just, it's, it's daunting because you get to a certain age, you're like, maybe I'm done with that. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, no, I'm not. I guess I'm not. So what is it about your childhood that you identify as, as one of the, uh, prime movers of your need to do what you do? I mean, I spent like 15 years in psychiatric therapy yeah. to only tackle these subjects now, really, yeah. with my dad. You know? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. it's just a lot of, it's, I think, trauma inherited and trauma that's potentially genetic and trauma that is from your culture and your surroundings. Yeah. And, you know, I go through waves of being angry about it. But then also I'm like, you know, my father passed uh, last summer and- I, in some ways, 
I'm more angry at him than I ever was. Really? Yeah. And in other ways, I'm much more understanding of huh. how he became the way he was because, you right. know, it's just like... Where, why, how did he become that way? I mean, he grew up in war. <laughs> in Korea. <laughs> yeah. With nothing. Yeah. And, and he comes to this country in 1963. Which side of Korea? He was born in North Korea. What was North Korea? Yeah. And just the, by happen chance of a lot of random things, gets to this country and... You know, you, you're a product of all of these things. It's almost like that uh, that, that Coen Brothers movie um, with a singer, um, yeah. Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. It's like all of these things that happen turn into this person that you are. And I look at the series of events that happened to my father, and I can understand mm. why he is the way he was. Sure. And I can accept that, but simultaneously I can be angry at him for not being loving. Right. And And... But then I'm like, well, Korean culture is not about being loving. It's about right. so, surviving. Right. And it's ongoing, it's ongoing dialogue within you. And it's also about, like, there is, like, when I've noticed with uh, Korean culture, a lot of Asian cultures, is that there's, you know, especially children of immigrants, there's this pressure that's unrelenting. Unrelenting. And, and you, you, it's like it, it devastates the ability to have a sense of self other than ambition. You know, I was watching that Tiger Woods doc. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that is fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was like, wow. My dad was very similar. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can't. I couldn't watch the second half because it just touched a nerve too much. And yeah, I'm, I was never going to be the competitive golfer that Tiger Woods was, but I can relate. So you, but you were a golfer, huh? That's all my dad wanted me to be. Is a golfer? Yeah. Huh. It's crazy shit. But was he a golfer? I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> you know, he was like, to his credit, a Korean guy yeah. in Virginia yeah. was a trailblazer because now if you go to a golf tournament, a junior golf tournament, you're going to see a lot of Asian parents yelling at their kids. Yeah, right. Sure. My dad was the first that I ever saw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you don't know what made him take to golf? No idea. You know what? It was in Virginia you grew up? I never up? asked them. Like, did you ever ask your parents about things that they did? Yeah. Why they did it? Sure. I don't have the. I never had the courage. Really? Or even if I did, I yeah. would never get a response. Yeah. Well. Well. Sadly, a lot of times the response is like, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Or my dad literally would just hear you and yeah. then <laughs> turn, turn away and do wow. something else. Yeah. Wow. Really detached. Like I deal with the repercussions of having you know selfish parents. You know, like you know that where the love is not. It. it it's not. It doesn't land as love. You know, whatever they think they're doing. And I still do that joke in my act. I, I say, uh, you know, uh, don't believe them. They didn't do the best they could. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. They say they did, but they didn't. They they winged it. They did, had no idea. <laughs> and now we're all fucked up. And I'm not like, I'm not mad and I'm not, you know, whatever. You you, you dealt the, the cards you want. But I, but I do wish I was a little more emotionally stable and, and capable because, right, so if you deal with these parents that were incapable of selfless love, then you don't know what to, you know, you've got to pretend like you know how to love people. And I think I'd be, I'd have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. I'd be, I don't know. I, but, but clearly that's sort of what I long for is to of be course. normal. Well, it seems like, you know, you, you, whatever your mental disposition is, there's a sensitivity to it. Like you, you feel things and, you know, whether you have control of your vulnerability or not, uh, you can't help it. I got genetically, de I got my DNA tested for the chromosomes that deal with like mental illness. Really? Two years, yeah. It's from this like 
terrible sounding company called Genomind. Really? Yeah, based on yeah. In my psychiatrist, I've been seeing my shrink the longest relationship I've ever had in my life. Really? Since two thousand three. Mine's w- were with cats. So. <laughs> <laughs> and like I've been on, I've been on all kinds of um, medicines. I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer in 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 that with therapy. Yeah. And uh, you know we've been tailoring and tinkering things that would be beneficial for me and my chemistry yeah and he got to the point where he's like hey there's this new thing out i don't i think you should try it and i got swabbed it was like the whole thing really and i got a card and like a giant notebook of information about why i'm my brain is the way it is really it's, it was pretty it was very hard i actually didn't talk about it for like two weeks until i was ready to talk about it with him huh so that's it's so weird because i'm doing this joke right now about how, because uh, I don't have kids, and I say the joke is really about like how, look, if you have love in your heart, you know, and you want to have kids, have kids. If you have a void where your heart should be and you think a kid will fill it, you know, don't do it because that void will just continue for generations. You're you're carrying it and it's generations old. And then they do the punchline, which is like, they now have this uh, function on 23andMe where you can track your void. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's like sort of me- like metaphysically like true. It's... Yeah. Well, yeah. I said mine goes back to 1800s uh, <laughs> Belarus in Russia. It was a tailor's wife had the original void that started my family. Yeah. I and I got the 23 of me. Did you get that all tested out? Did you? Do you know everything? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm 99.9 percent Ashkenazi Jew. Like 15 generations ago, I have some Ashkenazi Jew. And well, how that? Happen? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I was so how excited you... to read that. I was like, this is amazing. See, that's why you like comedians. <laughs> I was like, that's got to be a mistake. But if it was, I don't care. I believe I was, it to be true. I was hoping for some Viking blood, and that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, no. I so Ashkenaz from Korea. I don't know what happened, but it's there. It's, it is. It's, it's, it, How I do you mean, know it was 15 generations? They said it was like 15 generations ago or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So who knows? That's a long time ago. It's a long ago. time ago. And who the hell knows? Who, like, someone got lost. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, who knows how accurate it is, but all but I what know is, is this other thing? The, uh, mental the, the mental thing is it tells me how my body processes certain medications. So it, it, it has helped me better um, be prescribed things right. that work. Well, what's how the my, diagnosis? I'm bipolar. Yeah. Um, bipolar one, bipolar two, super bipolar. It can be mixture between one and yeah. two, really. Yeah. Um, and you didn't know that until recently? I never wanted to know. I'm so neurotic that I told I never wanted my shrink to tell me. Huh. I was like, these are like agreements. But is it because, because my dad's bipolar, and is it because you enjoyed the uh, the uh, the mania too much? No, I hated the mania. I just, I didn't, I just didn't want to know if I was, like, I didn't want the explanation right. to, to like mess up with who I was. Right, you right? wanted to be purely you. But you I knew, want... I knew, I was less worried about bipolar, but clearly I knew it because... Yeah. It's, I have a hard time explaining this because I'm still processing like how to talk about it. Yeah. I knew I was wildly depressed. I have like massive depressive disorder. Really? Too. Yeah. For how long? Um, like always or it comes Yeah, pretty much always. Really? Yeah. So you're, yeah, because so, cause like I don't, like with me, I don't even know anymore. Like, because I have a t- high tolerance for it, you know, because I grew up with it and you don't want to, you just kind of always fighting against it. Like I have no sense of uh, really, I have no kind of muscle memory for joy i am the same way <laughs> you know again i feel like we have some mutual friends and they're they're always like 
you have a similar sensibility to this Mark Barry guy. <laughs> really? Yeah. And when I listen to him, I'm like, oh man, like, yeah. I, I really feel what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I'm watching you two get all choked up. Like when, you know, with the, uh, during your wife's pregnancy, the first pregnancy. And I, I've never experienced that, but I, I do have this free flowing kind of like emotional, like that I can't define, but it's not bad. Like, a, like a, you're, you're kind of crying, but it's a good thing. But I usually do it alone or at weird times. Mm. Like I don't, and I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about it recently that, that if you, if you grew up feeling awkward for whatever reason, that literally you have no good memories. Like, and I don't. Right. And that's <laughs> disturbing. Right. Cause like, you're like, you know, what about your childhood memories? Like always uncomfortable. <laughs> Never, you know, it's all my childhood memories are like, oh, why did I fucking, die? that was terrible, you know. And I feel worse when people talk glowingly about their childhood. I'm oh, like, fuck. man. Yeah. Like, yeah. what, would, what, what would I be like if yeah, I... You're friends with Nick Kroll, right? Yes, very like, good friends. Like, you're very good friends with him. Yeah. I, had to, I had to stop following him on Instagram because his fucking family looked too healthy. <laughs> I Like, I literally, like, all the pictures of him as a kid where everyone, we love him, he's such a wonderful... I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I can't look at the... I can't look at his happy camp pictures anymore. And I love the guy. I think he's hilarious. And I like him, but I'm just sort of like, I can't, I can't. Too, too well adjusted. Not, not for me. <laughs> But I love him, and he seems to have a nice new baby. Seems yeah, he's happy. he's 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 totally in love being a father, and he's got a great great partner. So I love them to death, and I've known him a long time. So, but how does like you know how does he handle a guy like you? I think people know. <laughs> I I feel like they know that I'm I'm more balanced these days. I'm less angry. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder. It's like. I'm the Eeyore of the group oftentimes. Yeah. I felt like that. Right. And you know what? Because yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? So but like with me, like, you know, it's it's harder on our partners, you know, ultimately, because it's going to come out somewhere. And I guess for you, when you started opening restaurants, it must have like, you know, you must have been a nightmare. 100%. Well, I, I <laughs> when I my biggest bout of depression led to opening up the restaurants because without being depressed, I never would have been me. What was the first restaurant? Uh, Noodle Bar in 2004. In New York? Yeah. What was the one out here in the- Major Domo. Okay, okay. And that's still here? Yeah, it's, it's here. It's doing great. We had a great team there. Oh, good. And how many of you got restaurants? We have uh, over 10, but the number fluctuates because there's like more than one of each sometimes. So What happened to Bong Bar? Bung Bar, it's it's still in Time Warner, and we opened one up in the Cosmopolitan. It still got the spit. Yeah. Oh, so that's stuck. It's so good. That was it's such so a good. great. Uh, that whole history of the spit, I enjoyed that episode. I, I'm it's glad you did, and I'm glad. That people... seemed to be a revelatory episode. Getting like, to go to Istanbul was like holy shit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like it made me realize what a boring fucking country this is. Absolutely. Like. I... <laughs> 100 percent where it's just like you're just walking down a street where people buy vegetables and there's a million different and you're sitting right over here i used to eat a carousel all the time you're you're living in the land of kebabs yeah no i know i don't need enough of them oh my you got mini kebab here you got yeah. hamlet's kitchen this is the yeah best. my frank loves mini kebab oh, that's a so, good one. Oh lord carousel's okay a little greasy sometimes carousel's okay. good but yep. you are this area is armenian heaven i know I love it. I come here all the time just to buy food. Really? Yeah. Where do you go? Mini kebab? Mini kebab. Yeah. It was just written up in the New York Times today. Hamlet's Kitchen, I love because 
they're trying not to be busy. I love those kinds of restaurants. Mini kebab is just got written up. Yeah. So now uh, it's go, I can't get in there. It's already been that way, but yeah, um, it's even worse. There's so many spots here. Yeah. Hamlet's Kitchen. Hamlet's I think Kitchen. you will like a lot. You keep saying that. Where's that? <laughs> it's like I, it's only like five minutes away from sure. here. Everything's five minutes it's from here. Only it, it's in the back end of a warehouse where you feel like. The setup is it because of the COVID world, but yeah. no, it's always been this way. Yeah. They're trying to repel people from ever ordering it's food. It's just there. a kebab joint? Yeah. It's good. It's so damn good. But like also, yeah, Istanbul and like, uh, and just the history of, like, in, in talking about, well, let, let me, uh, I'll come back to the depression driving you, but, but like in talking about the new show, which seems to be, like, I had a misconception. It was funny. I used to do this joke about China. Like I was, it, it was it was conceived in Vancouver. I was going through Chinatown. I was looking at Chinese markets, which I always love to do, because you don't know what's in these boxes. <laughs> you just sort of like, is that a fish? Is it a clam? Is it a bug? Is it a rock? Is that a plant? Is it a plant? And, you, and there's this moment where you realize, like, well, if you're a civilization, as long as the Chinese have been, you're gonna get around to eating everything. Correct. So, so I said, you know, and clearly the future is Chinese because if global warming continues at its current pace, all that will be left in the ocean is prehistoric toxic algae and mutant jellyfish. And the Chinese are the only culture that really knows how to prepare that stuff properly. That is not a joke because it's true. Like most of Asia, like my my people like eating jelly. I don't like eating jellyfish. Yeah. And algae is, you know, seaweed. Okay. I grew up eating it. Yeah. It can be delicious. Yeah, but that's just sort of like, you know, that's, that's going to be an easier adjustment. Yeah, but... Um, but it's not really happening because they're inventing ways to make meat and stuff. Well, we're still going to have to embrace all of these things, though. We are. But let's go back to depression driving you. That you see, like the see. This is the thing that people like us get hooked to, and it's it's because despite our our vulnerability that we have no control over because we have you know mental problems, is that our ego is thir- is deeply in place. Oh yeah. yeah. So you justify your behavior because it led to whatever it is you are. And if that's a good thing, it becomes hard to uh, self-analyze. Yeah, or I call like unfucking yourself, you know? like Yeah, it's, exactly, yeah. What I realized recently, the past two, three years, is just because I was depressed and just because I was trying to get better and address it, I never realized how insane my fucking ego was and how narcissistic I was mm. because it was like... I always felt it was just not there. I, like I didn't have any. Oh, like you were selfless. You were just in it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm like, oh man, dude, come on. Really? Like, so how did depression? Do you think define or 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 make you open the first restaurant? Like, how was that the driver of your ambition? You know, I've talked about it a lot more, and honestly, after Tony passed, I feel a lot more open to talking about this stuff because it's never fun. Yeah, it's never fun to talk about. But like, you know, what I've realized is a lot of people need to hear stuff like this. So for me, without it seeming so dramatic, I thought I was going to end things. But before I ended things, let's try something out. Oh, oh you were going to kill yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You were that depressed. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. But it wasn't going to be something that was like a, it was going to be look like I was in an accident riding a bike in New York City. Oh, you had a plan. Yeah. That's that's bad when you have a plan. Yeah. But like <laughs> I have these tendencies, I still do, you know, and and you know there's that scene in beautiful and they're, but they're but they're like I've had those tendencies too, but like mostly because my depression 
like I don't, I don't know I got I, I you know through recovery and other things I you, you know I don't stay in it too long and I don't even know if I'm um um you know clinically depressed but but it's beyond self pity because a lot of times suicidal ideation I used to do a joke about that too I said like I, I you know I think about killing myself a lot and it's not because I want to kill myself I just feel better knowing I can if I have. To. <laughs> There's more of a betrayal than funny, <laughs> right? Because like, it, there's a relief to it. If it, it, if you have no real faith in place, if you like, if you're sitting there going like, "Oh, my life is terrible. Like, I could always kill myself." Oh, okay, so I feel better. Let me go to work, right? Right. But you felt like you were really going to do it. Yeah, I think it was a confluence of a lot of things, like mm. September 11th. Oh, you know, God. yeah. Um, I still think people underestimate how fucking insane it was. <laughs> if you're in New York City, oh, man, I was there. Yeah, the trauma of it. Like, I think we're 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 completely fucked now. The trauma of the last year and a half. I mean, people unresolved. Yeah, and we're still in it. Yeah, and we're not. You know, but but yeah, okay. Go and ahead. I had three friends in a year pass. One of an overdose. One died in a tragic car accident. And another friend of mine, a friend of Kroll's and our mine, uh, committed suicide. So a comedian. No, 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 no. Oh. Uh, a childhood friend. Oh. Um, oh, you knew Kroll in childhood? We had, through college, I got to know Kroll's friends growing up. Oh. Um, and, and I was just going through my own, um, I felt- This is 2011, 12? No, 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 2003. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just, like, in it, yeah. and I couldn't get out of my own way. Yeah. And one way that I had alleviated depression was traveling and running away from wherever I was. Right. And I, it got to a point where I could no longer run away from my own issues and my own problems. Right. I was also drinking. I should have been in an AA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, You're I have an incredibly addictive personality, yeah. right? So I just got to a place where I was like, things were not worth living. For a variety of reasons. Yes. And um, I, you know, I think in some way a lot of, you know what the funny thing is? I think it's still difficult now. There's a lot of places you can get help. There's even apps and stuff. Sure. But back then, how the hell were you supposed to find help? I didn't grow up in a household where if I told my parents, hey, I need help, they'd be like, Go to church. <laughs> Were they what kind of church? hardcore Christians? That's another thing. Korean I, Christians, I, yeah, Presbyterian. I mm. grew up in an extremely religious household. Um, yeah, and I guess culturally, it's not a, a culture like it's same with the black community. It's just not part of the language of like go see somebody. No, they. Yeah. I would get in trouble. <laughs> I would have gotten in trouble if I said that. Yeah, go to Jesus. They yeah, said. or you know something else. I don't know. Suck what. it up. Suck it up. Um, so the golf thing that was like torture. I, I never liked it. Right. I never liked it. And but you were good of, at it? You know, I was really, I think I was really good at it. I don't think I would have been good enough to make it as far as my father would have because I didn't have the mental game. Would want you to, you mean? Yeah. Um, and I got recruited in high school to play a lot of golf. Are and you I traveled. Natural, natural talent? I, that's all. Well, I, play, I played every day. But yeah. like, but still, like my brother did that with tennis too. But unless you have the natural talent, you can't go the full round. I think I was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I I've been playing golf. I I, I didn't touch a club for like twenty years. Yeah. It's still there a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, you can do it. But this is where the dark side comes in. Yeah. My compulsion to be like, I'm gonna fucking do this every day. I'm gonna I'm gonna. Oh, just when you picked it up lately. Yeah, and it's not yeah. fun. I don't even enjoy playing it now. Yeah. But what I enjoy is beating myself. 
right? Like if I can conquer myself, then that's the victory. You know, I was like, maybe I'll just practice every day and join the senior tour when I'm 50. I'm like, what am I doing? That's not fun. 10 restaurants, a family. And you're, you're making, you know, crunchy hot sauce. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's... You're going to make time for the... <laughs> I, I want to start to do things I actually enjoy. Well, good good luck with finding those. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, the, that, go, the golf a, thing messed me up big time. It's a curse. The thing is, like, if you do something, like, even with guitar, like, I enjoy doing it, but I'm like, I'm not as good. I'm not very good at this. Like, I'm not... I, I hear I, you I'm, say that all the time, yeah. but then I hear you play, I'm like... You're pretty good I'm at this. Okay, but like I, I'm not fast. I don't, you know, like I'm always judging myself against you know everything online, and every you know. But but then I'm with the argument is like, but you feel, man. You can you know you move your feelings to it, and you you know you have your own you know whatever. But that's, isn't that driving you to be better though? Yeah, I know. But is that is that what you want out but of that's a not hobby? Health, that's not fucking healthy. I know that's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, how do you find something you enjoy if you have that part of your brain that's sort of like, yeah, but there are people better than you at this. So. This is where I'm at, and it's sort of a metaphor for my life and where I want to be. Okay. Is, is like, for example, if I was playing guitar and I was competitive with myself, yeah. the competition is to not become competitive, to mm-hmm. actually get to the place where I've just accepted it. Sure. And I can now sort of be one with it and not fight it. Yes. My goal is to do nothing, like to do less, to actually- Me too. Go in the garden. Right? and. Yeah. Just, garden you look at, do you garden I, I i think about it <laughs> because when i do it yeah. i want to do it you yeah. know i want to have the greenest fucking thumb anyone's ever seen you got a sense for it you got a no knack? Oh. i don't think so but oh, yeah. here's the problem i will force yeah. myself to learn how to yeah. do it and, then and like they'll yeah. be competing with tomatoes and yeah. cabbage but yeah. i'm okay because at least i'm competing against with like mother nature you yeah. know it's like random right yeah people seem to like it like I, I thought about putting vegetable beds out here, but then I thought like, yeah, but then I gotta, I don't know, go to <laughs> worry about. So, all right. So the depression, though, you're saying that you you opened the restaurant because it was a, a, a way of getting out of it, and and also discovering myself. You know, I talked my my good friend, the artist Dave Cho. He said, you know, for you to grow, you sort of have to kill yourself. Huh. Right. So, but like, so you quit the golf, and your dad was like, "What are you doing?" Well, yeah, I was a mess. You know, I was a, just a hot mess. Yeah. Um, I still am. But yeah. when I was a teenager, when I got to college, I just, I was, that's it felt weird. like there was a hole in my brain that was not filled in yet. Right. So that's where all the golf went away. Yeah. And and I started just partying hard. When, when did you, what did you study? Religion. Oh, you really <laughs> need some answers, huh? Yeah. Well, I wanted to study the flaw. I want to know why people were religious. Did you figure it out? I kind of know. People need to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves so they have reason to live. Yeah, it's faith, yeah, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And and I studied a lot of Eastern religions. I think that calmed, my, calmed me down a little bit. But, yeah. um, and philosophy in general was something for, for me to really gnaw at and, and mm. to, to get a better understanding of thought. Did or it, work? Criti- it made me, I think, be a better critical thinker, but yeah. also made me way more neurotic too. More darker. Yeah. 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 You know, there, re- there is no point. Schopenhauer is not the funnest thing to read, but if you're reading him for uh, like fun, that's right. a problem. Well, but, that, but that's the thing when you're going into it, and I go, I we, I went into things like that too, because I guess we are somewhere in that. You feel like you have something missing, so you think your your natural gravitation towards anything. Like I used to do a bit about that too. It's like I any book that I read is a self help book, even though they're not self help books. Right. I'm looking for answers. Yeah. So 
When you go to Schopenhauer for answers, that's not practical philosophy. So you're just going to break your brain and it's going to be it's going to be reductive. And it's ultimately all you're going to do after that is prove to yourself that you're right and everything is shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you come out the other side, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. I spent so much time trying to unravel the myth of Sisyphus by Camus. Yeah. Well, now I'm like, I think he's wrong. I don't imagine him happy going down the hill after pu- pushing the boulder up. I think he's fucking pissed. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, he's like, fuck, I got to do this fucking thing again. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I can't stop myself. Yeah. Because I'm compulsive. But tomorrow, tomorrow, I think when he's pushing the boulder up, the, he's in the act of doing work. Yeah. That's his happiness. Oh. Because he's like, you motherfuckers can't tell me anything. You can't control me. I'm actually going to enjoy this. Yeah. This is not yeah. hell. This is, this is my This is my happy spot. <laughs> and I thought about that. I was like, you know how fucked up I have to be to think about it so much to get to that point? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Time to start cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Doing anything else. Yeah. So what what did lead to the cooking? Um, like, Because you cooked at some pretty fancy places. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is my dad... Uh, got out of the restaurant business and he worked his entire life to make sure I would never work in restaurants. Really? What did he do? Came to New York City in 1963 and worked as a bus boy, dishwasher, several years and just worked his way up until he he was just a fucking hustler and wound up owning a restaurant in the Washington DC area and sold that and got into the golf business. Oh my God, this is like Eddie's story. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He got into the golf business. Yeah. So that oh so but he wasn't a golfer. I again I don't know how the hell my dad got it thought golf was a thing that he wanted to get into. But what did he do in the golf business? He sold golf clubs and stuff. Oh, oh yeah. okay. He literally was it like a retailer huh. in the in the timing like we he he chose Tyson's Corner Virginia when I grew up there it was farmland. Yeah. I mean people will never believe that. Like there were like cows in my backyard. And it's what? It's a big golf place now? No, it's one of the biggest shopping centers and suburban oh, sprawls oh, you, oh. anyone's ever seen. And, oh. and and there was a lot of um, offices and it's now just a giant office mega complex huh. with buildings. And the area did really well. A lot of people made a lot of money and a lot of people played golf. So I grew up in, you know, a, a upper middle class upbringing from like age 13 on. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. So what led to cooking? I was terrible at everything else. <laughs> I mean, not, I mean, there's no romantic. Yeah, there's no nothing romantic. It, a lot of people in the 70s, 80s, and 90s got into cooking because they they couldn't do anything else, so they yeah. got out of jail or sure. you know whatever. Sure. I couldn't get a job. Yeah. I had a C plus average in a religion degree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's hiring? Who's hiring? Right. <laughs> um, and I. I I had a lot of desk jobs. I did a lot of different jobs. Yeah. I've done just about everything. Yeah. Um, really, uh, so many fucking jobs. Um, I, I, w- I moved from Japan. Uh, I was teaching English there. I was 21, Oh, you did that? You did the uh, teach uh, English abroad thing? Yeah, just to get the hell out. But I was right. basically in the equivalent of like Jacksonville, Florida of Japan. Mm. It was miserable. And I had to get out. It was like 1999. And, and anyway, I, I got a desk job and I, I, I just told myself, I'm going, even if I'm good at this, I'm yeah. going to be mediocre. Right. This is terrible. I don't yeah. want to fucking do this. Yeah. So I burned all my bridges. Yeah. I literally told my bosses at a crystal party how much I hated them. Yeah. And all bosses everywhere. Yeah. Fuck you all. Fuck you all. <laughs> and, and it was almost, I was basically inspired by Office Space, the movie. I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll just try something like this. Yeah. More or less, that's what I did. And, yeah. Um, I didn't 
I was like, I, for me to never come back to the corporate world, I have to make it impossible for me to ever be employed here ever again. Not that I could with my grades. But what was the corporate world you were in? I was helping uh, companies market American depository receipts on the New York Stock I, I Exchange. Don't what, I don't even know what the fuck that yeah, is yeah. either, but I didn't do anything. I mean, I spent all day trying to do nothing. Yeah. Anyway, that's when I was like, I always wanted to sort of be in the culinary world. Uh, my dad really actively tried to prevent that from happening. And if my son tried to do the same thing, yeah. I would do the same thing my dad did. It's too fucking hard. Yeah. But I, I just got to a point where I don't know what the fuck I want to do. So it's good. And also had all the good fuck you in it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Everyone thought it was social suicide. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the advantages that I had growing up, the, like I fucking hated high school. Like I went to the high school that produced uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. And mm. I now I understand, of course I should have hated high school. Look, yeah. look at what. Yeah, yeah right. You know? Right. But were, were you treated badly? It was not fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it just was hard. It was really hard for me to fit in, and I just was also a mess. I, I, if I was someone else, I'd probably treat me poorly too. You know? Yeah. Did your was your mom helpful? No. Mm. I mean, she tried to love me from afar. But, yeah. Um, but they were together, weren't they? Yeah. But they, you know, at yeah. Korean parents, Korean parents, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, they wound up having a solid relationship after the fact. But yeah. I just. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. Mean life didn't have meaning to me, so I was right. like, "Fuck it, let's just do what I'm not supposed to do." And cooking. It was either that or like honestly, I was like, "I'll just work at a leper colony." Yeah, <laughs> I remember thinking that to myself. I was like, wow. "Fuck it." Yeah, why not? Why not? Who gives yeah. a shit? Roll the dice. Yeah, yeah. So, did you go to culinary school? I did. I went to the French Culinary Institute, um, and I was working at um, the Mercer Kitchen. And I was also working at my dad's friend's golf store, New York Golf Center, on the weekends, just trying to help make ends meet. Yeah, uh, living at my sister's, just doing a lot of different things. But you, like right when you got to culinary school, you're like, "Fuck yeah!" I was so bad at it. Oh, you were, but you were excited. But the reason why I didn't quit is yeah. I told everybody I was going to become a cook. So you had it wasn't that. out of overriding love of like I'm going to be so good at cooking. Yeah, I'm so good. I, I'm going to be awesome. It was out of the embarrassment. That wow. I can't quit. You were terrible, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was terrible at no, it. No. And it was also the embarrassment I couldn't let anyone else down. Yeah. Including myself. So a lot of pressure. All coming at you, all sides. I mean, I was so bad at cooking, my first level partner decided to quit rather than continue to be my partner because she asked the instructors, if I have to continue being Dave Chang's partner, like, I'll quit. And they wouldn't change partners. She was stuck with me, so she quit. Quit the school? Yeah. Wow. That's how bad I was. Have you been in touch with her? I work my so I'm a vengeful. Yeah, <laughs> I I carry a lot of chips on my shoulder, uh, yeah. and I am. I work so hard to prove people wrong. Yeah, and it's become just like a problem. Yeah, that's, what, that's <laughs> yeah, it's a, a real problem for me. That's the ego thing too, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's that got to do with her? Nothing. Oh. I probably would have hated me too again, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I worked hard to make sure that I would be- But you don't know who that person I is? I do know, and she's a restaurateur in New York City. Oh, okay. She was. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to fucking, dis I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just smoke oh. you. I don't know how. <laughs> You're much better than me, <laughs> but you, I'm going to find a way. Did you win? Yes, I think I won. <laughs> oh, well, thank God. <laughs> but, it's a little victory. But, but again, like, why, what's the purpose? You know, because like when when you're missing that piece, whether it's, you know, from, you know, bipolar or borderline or whatever, 
everything feels like a, a very personal attack and it needs to be the retribution needs to be satisfying it's almost like regaining part of yourself i i totally agree and added on i just whether it was real but i think it was real you know one of my college buddies said nobody expected any of this from you day yeah you know it's like you're the total surprise of anybody i've ever met well that's nice and it's weird you know, it's like, I'm a statistical anomaly. And yeah. I really believe that. When I tell people, oh, I shouldn't be here. They're like, no, oh, whatever, Dave, that's self-modesty. I was like, no, I'm only here because I, I work my ass off. A lot of lucky breaks happen. I, I think about that movie, Inside Lou and Davis, a lot. If I just made a right turn instead of a left turn and any number of decisions, yeah. I wouldn't be here. Well, I, you know, but I, I also identify with spite being a motivator. I mean, you know, like so much of my ambition was driven by you know fuck that guy why can't I, you know what i mean i can do that but like i i you know i don't you're you have an empire you know i have a garage but uh but nonetheless like i've i've what i've grown to realize if you don't have traction and you have spite you're you're not gonna you'll be pushed out <laughs> yeah and i was going to be pushed out i was a wallflower my entire life you know but like so you open the noodle place yeah. And it's it, huge. No, it was, we were going out of business. That was terrible. <laughs> it was, every, that's what I mean. It was like everything sort of happened as like a cosmic joke, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody even cared about ramen. And again, like one reason why I wanted to do it and open up this ramen shop is I finally had an idea that I wanted it to express. Right. And I was like, nobody's ever given me the opportunity to actually follow so through on anything. You were a little early on the ramen thing? Um, yeah, because I saw it in Japan and I, I grew up eating and it's not just ramen. It was like Asian food in general. Yeah. Um, and again, having been able to see the world a little bit, I was like, wait, the food in America is so stale, Yeah. but it's, it's not this way everywhere else. When I was in China, uh, pre Olympics, uh, this is 99, I think I had the best, some of the best food I've ever had. It was like 25 cents a meal. Yeah. People forget in 2021, because food is not even a privilege, it's just a given that you should be eating well all the time. Yeah. Back in New York City, in the late 90s, yeah. you couldn't eat well affordably. It yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, other than a dirty water hot dog and stuff like that, right. you get a hamburger, right. but there was nothing uh, high-end. Like High-end was only for the high-end, and if you told somebody, if the word foodie didn't even exist. Yeah. If you told somebody you wanted to eat well, they they thought you were a snob. Yeah. It was an elitist thing. And right. yes, actually, it is elitist. Yeah. But now it's become more democratized. Uh -huh. And that was a feeling. And I loved following patterns and other... I love music. I love literature. I love ideas. And I, I would just see these things percolate and move. And I was like, man, nothing's ever happened here in American food. There's been no real yeah. change. I was like... Why don't I just try to do something? Yeah. I was telling this, the only person I could tell this shit to was my shrink. Yeah. And I felt like it was just like solipsism. So, and he thought, he thought like, well, this is narcissistic. This guy thinks he's yeah. going to change America. Yeah. It's a, like borderline noodles. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the same thing. I was like, this is really problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what happened? So the noodle thing didn't change the world? No, we were going out of business. We had like 60 days left of money. Um, it was, uh, it was just mostly bad too. Yeah. My, my, you know, no one do we want to work with. Yeah. I, I literally couldn't get anybody to work. Why? Because I was a, terrible. You're a monster or just no, bad cook? I was, I'm, I was bad cook and it was yeah. terrible. Um, wow. Chaos. Yeah. We just didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I had been cooking professionally four years. 
But this is after you work with Daniel? Yeah. Daniel, John George, Tom Colicchio. Um, Colicchio's a good guy, right? He's a good dude. And he had, again, like I was lucky to work at the opening team craft. I answered phones. I wanted so badly to be part of that team. I answered phones for like but did, but so you but you had some sense of how a restaurant worked. I did, but not really. Mm. You have no idea. You have no <laughs> idea. But I worked with some of the very best cooks. Yeah. And all of those figures were like big brothers to me. And I just they they I you know, my 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 friend Akhtar Nawab said like I knew you were going to be maybe something, <laughs> maybe something when Mark Kenor was like, "Hey, bring me some gremolata, Dave." And I was like, make me like a quarter gremolata. And I was like, yeah, chef. And I come back sheepishly five minutes later, chef, I don't know what gremolata is. <laughs> <laughs> but like just that, like, I'm going to do it approach. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was it. And honestly, I look back on it. It was totally insane what happened. Those beginning, that beginning year. Yeah. Um, and honestly, we only became successful when we started to throw the rule book out and we started to with Everything. a new, new restaurant? Or with no, the, the original noodle. restaurant, we started to be the most obnoxious pricks anybody's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> we kicked people out. We played, you know, Wu-Tang, Enter 36 Chambers, Metallica, whatever. Yeah. yeah. We were playing obnoxious music. We were finally, we freed ourselves from the shackle of what a restaurant or noodle bar should be. We just right. started to fuck around. Yeah. Because I literally viewed us as a terminal cancer patient. Yeah. And at that point, because I've had a lot of cancer in my family, it's like, you start to do whatever the fuck. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. You start living. Yeah. And that's what happened with us, in, both as a restaurant and for myself. Yeah. Like, I started to become someone else, and it started to work. And yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. It was the craziest time. So it, it caught on. It worked. Yeah. I still don't know how the hell it worked. And it was the right place, right time. And I don't think it was because of me or anyone else. It could have been easily somebody else. And then you just started opening restaurants. Because we had to take, I wanted to take care of everybody. The reason we opened a second restaurant is we needed to get more money to pay for healthcare for What everybody. was the second restaurant? Sambar, which yeah. we almost went out of business yeah. again. Yeah. Because uh, I decided to do Asian burritos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it caught on? No, it was a total failure. <laughs> It was a total fucking dud. I mean, it was all this hype. Yeah. And everyone's like, just open another bigger noodle bar because the first one was tiny, 600 square feet, the yeah. size of this garage. Yeah. And and I took this thing out of receivership, got a giant loan, million dollar loan. I would have lost everything. My dad put his golf store for collateral. So eventually your dad was on board. Yeah. That was when he knew I was on board when I moved next door to the first restaurant in this cockroach infested little apartment. And yeah. he's like- you're crazy. Yeah, but you mean it. You mean it now. You know, this isn't a hobby. You're fucking nuts. My yeah, son is nuts. Yeah. Um, and that restaurant was so, I think, honestly, ahead of its time, unfortunately. Yeah. But we were going out of business. We Our, our accountant said, like, you have three weeks left of money. And if that happened, everything defaulted. Yeah. So I was like, fuck. Like, I literally thought to myself, maybe you have to sell drugs. Like yeah. You sell marijuana or something. Yeah. Like, these are the crazy things you start thinking about when yeah. you have to make things work. Yeah. Well, before I do something stupid like that, why don't I just open up 24-7? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> what else can I do? Yeah. Well, I don't want to I don't want to give up yeah. on these burritos, right. so I'll be open from 12 to 4 in the morning. <laughs> I just won't sleep. I won't sleep. <laughs> people I'll, just didn't want the burritos? Yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, I'll just fucking work. I worked my ass off. Everybody did. We had the sickest team. God bless them. And did we worked regular for tortillas? Yeah. Mm. A, a flour. It was like mushu pork. No, I get it. Yeah. I get it. But like, because it seems like you've evolved 
the bread concept. Like it still seems that there's some element of the Asian burrito that you hang on to. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm yeah, not, really. it is like my Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I can't, and I still believe it works, but from 12 to 4 in the morning, we yeah. decided, well, who gives a fuck? We're just going to start cooking whatever the fuck we want to cook. Yeah. We had Tin Ho, we had Kino Baca, Peter Serpico. We had all of these great, great chefs and cooks. Corey Lane, a great team. And next thing you know, people are coming in from, we're jam-packed from 12 to 4 in the morning every night of the week and it took me six more months to give up my ego driven idea of a burrito be like maybe we should just do this all day (laughs) yeah right yeah and that's how we survive and then when when what was the what was the restaurant the first restaurant you're like this really you know worked was it after that after the asian burrito place um we did co 12 seat restaurant we, I never wanted to do fine dining. The only reason, long story, we got into fine dining is I needed to, we were doing so much business at a one restaurant that we got shut down by the health department because we didn't have enough hot water. And this is, this is all pre-truck. Yeah. Because like, like food trucks are a different thing. Roy Choi started to get huge right around this time, 2009, okay, 2010. Yeah. And uh, so- we needed to make ends meet because we had a loan out for that first restaurant that supported Sambar. So by the time Sambar started to more, make money and pay the loans back, yeah. I still would have lost everything because I needed Noodle Bar to still make money. But that wasn't. Well, we were going to get shut. We got shut down by the health department. Right, because of the, the water. water. Yeah. So like, oh, fuck, what are we going to yeah. do? So we just reverse engineered. Like, how much money do we need to make and how many people can we cook for per day and have enough hot water for those people? So that was 24 people. Yeah. So we opened a restaurant for 24 fucking people. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want to do fine dining. We, Which that's restaurant what we did. was that? It was Co. And that worked out good? That worked. It was crazy because we were the first restaurant that did a, no, a, a reservation system that was totally democratic. There was no way I could rig it for my friends. It was 12 seats. I don't need a reservationist. And yeah. I didn't want to bother the team with answering the phone. Yeah. It was like, let's just build a system where people can go online. This is the first of its kind, sort yeah. of. And just do it from themselves. It's totally transparent. You see every day, seven days out, if you got the reservation or you didn't. Yeah. And it was like b- fucking crazy. Yeah. And that's when things got super insane in my life and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the uh, uh, the the profile of that restaurant. Yeah. And, and then and, your whole life. And in living in New York City, it yeah. just became like, um, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally fucking nuts. And you liked it? <laughs> I was so caught up in it. Yeah. And I felt, now in retrospect, I, I can see that I let my ego get in the way and I wanted a lot of things to happen to survive. But yeah. part of it was survival. Yeah. And I, I think that clearly I, I mistreated a lot of people with my temper. Now, now are you a guy that apologizes? I, I, I want to just make things right with everybody I possibly can, you know. So you- I haven't apologized to everybody and... Uh, I'm still working through a lot of things. Have, but have there been some that are just like, no, fuck you? There are some people that yeah. <laughs> hate my guts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. and the way I can reconcile that is by passing on my father. It's like it, I was so angry at him for so long. And yeah. that's the fucking crazy thing. I was wound up being the father figure, same father figure yeah. to my own employees in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that messed me up. Like your dad. You yeah. acted like him. 100%. Mm. But it seems like you have people that have been with you for years now. Yeah. And, you know, you, but, and also, like, obviously, early on, you cared about healthcare and you took care of your people, but you were just uh, one of those difficult people. I was a total fucking prick. 
Fuck, I try to be diplomatic. <laughs> you know, and 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 you know, I, I you know, I, I I've done a lot of therapy as to why. Like one of the reasons I, I I spent so much time besides depression was understanding like why do I get angry? I never this didn't exist in me. This, yeah. This this, and I learned it was effective. It's called effective dysregulation of yeah. my emotions. Huh? What is that? Yeah. Maybe I have it. Um, I've shut down though lately. Yeah. Yeah. My rage is gone. I, in terms of dumping it on people, I know enough about how bad that is. I think with a lot of behavioral therapy for me, I mean, this is years of me doing yeah. this. Medicine, um, I'm, I'm like, it's harder for that to come out like the Hulk, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. But for me, if I see something happen, like if somebody does something ridiculously stupid and um, not stupid, but stupid in the sense that it's not important. It's yeah. Like, they don't condense something properly into another container. Right, right. I'm, I'm, I might freak the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't understand it. And one of which is, is like I've learned that doing that right gave me meaning, saved yeah. my life. Right. And in a world where it's everyone has, thing. E yeah, and yeah. everything had let me down in my life. Yeah. With exception of like books. Yeah. And ideas. Yeah. And cooking saved my life yeah. it taught me order yeah that if you didn't care about it as much as i did you were attacking me right right yes yeah, that's that thing where it's personal it's personal yeah and it, it's taken me a long time i'm still working at it to yeah. know that it's not personal yeah why should anybody else care about it as much as i do right and, and they got their own problems yeah and right. i was just like i'm so you talk about this a lot in your pod like i'm so embarrassed yeah by my inability to have been better in the past. Yeah. And I'm trying my best to be better moving forward. But yeah. that's all I can do. It know? is, yeah. How but so the evolution of restaurants though, you've got how many open still? Ten plus. Okay. Again, I say that because there's multiples of certain things. Yeah. And do you are you active in engaged? Nope. No. I I I we have a CEO, we have a culinary team. I'm there as support and to answer things, but the day-to-day -day operations, I've been out of for a few, like three, four years. You don't make menus? No. Mm. No. See, I, that's, uh, and that doesn't bother your control issues? It's a lot of therapy, Mark. Yeah. To get to that point. Because I would think that would be crazy. You open multiple restaurants and you delegate. Yeah. It seems to me horrifying. Delegating is extremely difficult to do because a lot of people do it, but being good at it is another yeah. thing, right? And, yeah. And I learned that you can get people to do a lot of different things. You can yell at them. You can scare them. You can they you can basically force people to do what you want them to do. But yeah. when your back is turned, will they do it willingly on their own volition? Or will they spite you? Yeah. And I think the the only way to do that is through uh, being kind, being communicative, being open, being transparent, being vulnerable, being all these things that I think are extremely hard for anybody to do. And it's ultimately, I think, being a good parent yeah. and teaching them the the ways and, and encouraging them to make mistakes yeah. and have ownership in it and to make decisions under duress as best they can. And they're not robots. Mm. So it's hard. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still a work in progress. And there was a long time where I'd see something not right and I'd be like, you know. And I, again, I, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. fuck. But how yeah, did but I know? How would I have known better? I know, but sometimes like embarrassment, like- like the shame element of what we're talking about here can can only sometimes if you're not careful with that you're just going to use it as a bat to beat yourself up with right so well, and I beat myself up I'm like I'm so sorry 
to so many people that I fucking pissed off yeah. and I hurt and yeah. you know like when I hear you talk about it like it moves me when I'm in my car driving I'm like fuck man like I know that feeling yeah yeah you know it's like yeah. you don't want I don't want to hurt anybody yeah. that's really just who I am but like fuck yeah it's the worst feeling i know i know yeah and it's because of this um, emotional liability and mental thing but you seem vigilant and that's all you can do is is you know think for you know take a breath you're like i've been a little bad lately with the like in the quick emails like fuck you (laughs) are you doing better though you think in general yeah in life i mean you've had a hard year oh oh yeah yeah well i mean i think um the grief thing is 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 what it is, and and you know that, that that's moving along. But sort of like, you know, I'm not sh- I, I'm not sh- sure that some of the anger that that's coming is not relative to to that. Like you know that you have to. There's a certain amount of acceptance around tragedy that has to happen because it it, it is what it is, and it happens. It happens to people. But like, I don't really know why. Yeah, outside of the world ending, you know, which I can displace it onto that. But like, I, I am feeling a little more angry than usual, and I don't. And the solutions that that usually kind of work for me are not quite working. Uh, I'm a little detached. What, how about you? I I feel guilty think I, because I think I put my head in the sand for 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 a good few months. You did, yeah. Just I think in, part of it was just nesting, getting ready for a new child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But I've been also asking myself like, geez, these fucking questions like what am i doing right you know like one reason why i was, I was so hesitant to have children or just get my own fucking genetic makeup yeah you fear you don't want to you you want to spare them yeah right but your wife's sort of like ah yeah and and i'm and i think being a father has been um i never thought i could love something other than myself as much as i do now and i think it's been everything and i need you barely love yourself yeah, right. <laughs> so you, you mean you never thought you could love something? Period. Yeah, really, right. truly, yeah. selflessly. And I think selflessly. love, love is something I've never really experienced up until like you know my wife, and now I just feel like I'm in a d- different phase of my life, and um, I'm surrender. I'm trying my best to surrender to the contr- need for control. Yeah, and I think that is why I'm not so angry at the absurdity that you read about every day. Sure. Well, yeah, I think children do that. And I, and it seems to me that, like, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, depression, that, you know, acting as if or, or, or you know, being vigilant around behavior for yourself, like, you can change the way you are if through repetition. And you've said it a million times. It's like golf. It's like, it's like anything else. And you have the capacity to do that now you just have to apply it to you know behavior right but t- t- this is another thing i've been working on a lot yeah just because you know it and you think it all I, the time yeah. doesn't mean you fucking do it right no i i get that but 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 it's, it's sort of like well, i you know i haven't drank tw- or do drugs t- over 20 years how'd that happen i don't know but now i don't even think about it you know like also with anger like you know i i they, i don't have anyone around that i'm going to unload on but like you know, I've been a rageful asshole, and and like I I don't really feel the need to do it because I can, I can I feel it coming, right? So you make choices to do things differently. I mean, intellectually, yeah, intellectually knowing something like I know what's wrong with me, I know this, this, is this. But you know, you're in it, you're in an active environment with a family. So like I imagine whatever shortcomings you have, there's plenty of days where you choose the right thing. And I still beat myself up when I get angry or. 
I yeah. do something. I'm just I hold myself to a standard that is just not achievable. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you just you know uh, you just got to tighten up. Uh, it's like I used to do a joke about that too, where it's sort of like you, you got to you know, get the the distance in between fuck you and I'm sorry. You got to keep tightening that up to where the you know, the fuck you doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> Very true. Right. So your relationship with Tony hmm. now, like what? Did you guys both are, are were depressives? Did you know it each other in each other or? Mm. I think those that know Tony and Tony had a lot of like siloed off relationships with a lot of people. I think initially Tony sort of knew that I was a I was going to be highly combustible. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that was intriguing for him. Um, and if you spend enough time with Tony, if you watch even his shows, yeah. like, he talks about it all the time. Yeah. It's just there. Right. So he just he just white knuckled heroin. Yeah. And I think for him he thought he could white knuckle anything. Because if he can do that to heroin, you can right. do that to anything. Right. He just he couldn't. Yeah. You can't you can't run away from your addiction. Yeah. So um so, so there's just a lot. There's so much to fucking this Tony story. Um I think ultimately um, were you guys really close? He was like a bigger brother to me. Yeah, um, but in touch and actively. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, little bit less so the last two three years, mm. um, because I didn't want to bother him. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like um, he was always there, and whenever I needed anything, he was there, and and I just, I just didn't want to bother him because everybody wanted something from him, mm. and I didn't want to be that person. Yeah, but- so. When it happened, were you surprised? Mm. I mean, obviously it's surprising because it's tragic. Yeah, but, 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 but were you like, well, I could- I think for a lot of people, everyone thought it might have been like, I was, part of me was hoping it would just be old age, right? Yeah. Part of me thought, if anything, it might be heroin again. Right, you know? right. Um, I didn't see it coming this way. Yeah. And it was a total surprise to me. Yeah, and you fe- you found out pretty quickly when it happened, right? Yeah, it was, um, it totally was a fucking, I still, it's hard to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that isolated. But it was right around when you're, you were finding out you're, you're going to have a baby. Well, that's, that was hard. Um, um, you know, he, one of my last real meaningful conversations I had with him, we had dinner and he, we talk about Lori Woolover, his assistant has a book out uh, about Tony. It's like a compilation of yeah. a bunch of stories. And, and um, the the doc was out and, yeah. and, and in it. And I don't even know why the fuck I said it to begin with because I was still angry at him. He was just like, he was projecting. He was like, you're going to be a fucking terrible father day. Yeah. You know, before I even had a kid, yeah. you know, because he had, he felt, he was like, because I am. Yeah. And you are as well. Right. And that fucked me up. Right. And- um, you know, I don't, I'm not a believer in fate or s- shit like that at all, but I think about it a lot. Yeah. And I think about Tony every day when I see my son, because we had been trying to get, my wife had been trying to get pregnant for a couple years and it was, it, there was a lot of obstacles in the way. And, um, it got to the point where it's like, Oh, probably will never happen. Yeah. And that day was scheduled to go to the fertility clinic. <laughs> yeah. The so you're just he like, yeah. Killed himself. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, there's this window to 
you, you know, I was just not in a fucking place. <laughs> you know, it's like the last fucking thing I wanted to do <laughs> was, was that. Oh my god! Donate some sperm. Oh my god! <laughs> but you did it, and I. Uh, and that was the one. That was the one. <laughs> Well, you'll, you'll think about him every day then. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I really do. It's such a fucking mind fuck. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's, it's positive in a way. Here's, here's the craziest thing. Yeah. For number two. <laughs> the new kid. I got a call from his agent, Kim, who yeah. wanted to talk about Tony. Yeah. The fucking moment I'm going to the elevator to the fertility clinic. Oh, get out of here. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Did you name him Tony? No. I didn't. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I've never told really anybody that. Yeah. But, um, well, I mean, it's an active presence, but I don't know that it's negative. Do you? It seems positive to me. I think part of me is it's just randomness. Sure. And you're attaching meaning to it. And I'm trying to tell myself, don't do that. Okay. But I mean, the meaning's not terrible. No, it's not. I think it's it's a positive, and I want people to think about Tony in a positive way. He yeah. impacted so many people in, in 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 positive ways, and I wouldn't have a career that I have right now without Tony. And as a role model, yeah, yeah, well, he was the fucking best. Yeah, 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 he was the fucking best. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, when I first talked to him, it was great. The second time, he was mad at me, and you know that was the last time I saw. Well, Tony him. got mad at a lot of people at the yeah. end, you know. Yeah, it was about that stuff, too. You know, he came on the show again to promote something, but he had a beef, you know, and, you know, and I got it. But, you know, that, and we weren't friends, but that was the last encounter I had with him. Right. He was mad. In, I think that was one reason why, and if anybody's listening, like, if I have a conversation with a friend or somebody that you know that might, could be the last conversation you have with them. That's what I regret about a lot is like, I think there were a lot of moments where I should have had that fucking conversation. Yeah. But I was afraid of being cut out of his life. Right. And it's a hard thing for people to Which have. conversation? Oh, the one where you, you're Just worried? Every, like, yeah, you're worried or anything. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like- Yeah, yeah, What are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, the risk is, fuck you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the, but congratulations on the new kid and you seem to be doing well, but let's like, like this, the new show- Seems like uh, a, a kind of like a reaction, sort of like, how can I help? Yeah, well, you know, it started out with the beginning of the pandemic and 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 uh, what was, and you talked about people trying to process what the fuck happened yeah. in the past 18 months. And I think it's going to take a generation to understand. Sure. If we last that long. If we last that long is under, you know, what really felt like the end of the world, March yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, and we were just talking to people in my industry and next thing you know it was like how do we do this and we have this thing with deal with hulu and and i didn't i was apprehensive because i didn't want it to be a depressing show what's it called again next thing you eat okay and part of it was looking at the entrepreneurs the technology the the people that are going to give us hope potentially yeah and um in the food world in the food world in in the restaurants and how we consume things it's not a prescriptive show it's not this is what's going to happen i think what i wanted with morgan and the team was how do we start having conversations right about the meaning of something yeah um for example if we do have cultivated meats which i think we 100 percent will whether you like it or not, we're going to fucking have it. Like uh, man-made meat. Man-made meat. Yeah. It's one, it is, I bet my fucking life on it. Yeah. Because by 2050, we're not going to have enough protein to feed the people on this planet. Yeah. 
So protein units is what people in the industry call it. You're going to need find need to find ways. Like twenty what? Twenty fifty. Okay. Which is not that far away. Right. People are not going to stop eating meat or the desire to eat meat. That's just genetically coded in our DNA. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are pumping ungodly amount of money to recreate meat from cells. Yeah. And I tasted it, and it's fucking amazing yeah i was like holy shit really and that's when i was like to me the equivalent was for food yeah it was like the equivalent of teleportation right right yeah yeah oh my god we can do this we could what so you just gotta shift our perception to accept it but then like you should conversation like what does this mean yeah you know it's like if you're a practicing muslim or kosher yeah is it pork yeah, can you eat pork now? That yeah, yeah. Well, those are you know those are fun questions. But <laughs> yeah. The bigger question is, will it work to provide a, a reasonable protein source for people who need it uh, when it's uh, a diminishing? Yeah, and it will be cheap. And people think, oh, only uh, rich people eat that. No, actually, I think only poor to lower income people will eat it, and mm. rich people will eat the real shit. Mm. Um, and you deal with technology's effect on the on the food business, not but th- that's obviously technology, but it looks like in the production and yeah, and the robotics growing. of yeah, it all. Yeah. That to me is what we got to figure out. And you know, I grew up thinking that you're going to have the Jetsons or something you see on Star Trek, yeah. but the future is going to look a lot like what we're eating right now. Yeah, and I did, but does it mean that the like those amazing markets in Turkey go away? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean. COVID, again, accelerated everything in life. But I think the change moving from here on out with food is going to happen more gradually where you're not going to know. We're the frog in the yeah. in the hot bath, and we're not knowing that the temperature is being increased ever so slightly. Yeah, but but I mean, but that's not the outcome we want, is it? No, but that, <laughs> the outcome, I believe, is positive because it's going to shift because the people that work in this business are too gritty. And I think it's going to shift. I think we're going to be eating, a, clearly we're eating a lot more at home. But I feel very confident that what is consumed at home is going to be a growing business and people are going to be express themselves. Maybe they won't open a restaurant right off the bat. Maybe they'll open a restaurant in their home first, see if it works, and then open a restaurant. Interesting. um, I am actually hopeful and I have optimism that it's not going to be just like, again, like Demolition Man and Taco Bell in the future. Oh, good. Well, that's exciting. And you got a new cookbook? Yep. And that's uh, it's oh, coming out October twenty first. What's that called? Cooking at home. All right, so it's sort of similar themed. Yeah, yeah. It's basically don't use recipes. I mean, there's recipes, but it's trying to teach you intuition. Do you like that cookbook, the Fire of Salt? Oh, uh, Samin, she's she's fucking you know. Yeah, she's next level. That book is stupid. Good. You love it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And that TV show she has on Netflix is fantastic. I haven't so. watched it. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's really, really good. All right, man. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me, Mark. And thanks for the Grateful Dead record and the chili stuff. And you guys are going to send me more food stuff? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> At least we could do, man. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. That's it. That was good. That was deep. We got some work done. The Next Thing You Eat is now streaming on Hulu. The Cookbook, Cooking at Home, comes out next Tuesday. Did I mention I want want one? October 26th. I'd like to get one in the mail. Thank you. Thank you. Should I do this on the phone? Should I do it through a DM? Should I text? I'd like a book. Can I? Wait to hear the crunch on this little Fender champ. Austin Hooks hot-rodded it out in Texas, sent it back to me. Now I'm going to crunch it. 
Boomer lives. Monkey and La Fonda and cat angels everywhere. I don't even know if I like that one. I don't even know if I like that one. <laughs>